<laughs> okay. All right, enough on that. I've got myself 30 minutes here, and we're going to start. There we go. All right, so we're going to continue as the slide goes forward, Jacob. Yeah, it's not working. Good. Yes. There we go. Bam. The Sermon on the Mount. Okay, we're actually going to start uh, in on the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, uh, this morning. So let's pray and ask God to give us understanding as we open up His Word. Father, we thank You so much uh, for this sermon that You preserve for us, uh, this, these teachings of Jesus Christ uh, that Matthew worked so hard to gather, and, and through the inspiration of Your Spirit, he... Um, wrote down, and uh, that you preserved it for the church. And so we're so thankful for that. And as we sang earlier, we ask that you would speak, O Lord, uh, speak into our hearts this morning, uh, Lord, that you would cause our faith to rise um, as we take in your word. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus begins this, this uh, very long sermon, uh, this very important sermon, this very important discourse, one of the five discourses in Matthew's Gospel. By these words, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this really is the point today, that when we are poor in spirit, we're blessed. Uh, we are happy. Go back to last week's message for happy. And that the reward there is, is the kingdom of heaven. The promise is the kingdom of heaven, right? As look at the attitudes. There's going to be a statement of the condition, and there's going to be this blessing uh, that we have, and the promise that's attached to it. Thomas Watson was a uh, Puritan back in the 17th century, and he writes this concerning this concept of being poor in spirit and what God is trying to do, because quite frankly, God wants us to come to him poor in spirit because he wants to make something beautiful out of us. God has beautiful plans for you, but you have to come to him with your hands open and empty, recognizing you're sinful and ready for God to change you into the person he wants you to be. So Thomas Watson says this, he says, As the best creature was made out of nothing, so when a man sees himself to be nothing, out of this nothing, God makes a most beautiful creature. And this is what God wants all of us to be. Being transformed in the image of Christ is being transformed into perfect beauty. So as, as, as Jesus launches into this sermon... He's not speaking out of a vacuum. He is actually, he's actually, you know, he, he, he uh, Jesus Christ is the Word, right? And he understands clearly the writings of the law and the prophets. And when you look at Luke's account of the gospel, when Jesus begins his public ministry, he does so by quoting Isaiah chapter 61. And this is kind of, this, he's launching out. And he says, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to who? The poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness to the prisoners. And so Jesus' ministry, the very beginning of it there, is, is to those who are poor. And we'll talk about what poor is in just a minute. And why does he begin with the poor, though? Let's, let's look at that. Well, you know, he could have come on the scene. He could have started by saying, hey, you know what? Hey, I'm the Messiah. 
Okay, I'm God incarnate. I'm here to save you. One day I'm going to destroy your enemies, the enemies of God. Listen and follow me, and I'm going to lead you into the kingdom of God. And he could have started out by saying that, right? That could have been what he was going to do. But he didn't do that. That's not how he begins. But he does begin with blessing, right? He wants to bless the people that he's come to, right? We looked at the end of of Malachi. God promises curses upon the people if they don't repent, turn from their idolatry and sin to him. And Jesus begins his ministry, though, with the promise of blessing. And they long for blessing, right? As you look at the context into which Jesus was speaking, they long for blessing. They were under Roman oppression, And certainly they thought, hey, you know, if the Messiah comes and he just kicks the Romans out, then we'll be happy, right? We'll have everything will just be the way that we want it to be. But would it really be that way? Because they would still have to deal with their relationship with God, right? If the Romans are out of the way, they still have to deal with their creator, their sustainer, and their judge. And so Jesus is speaking into a context of the people. All they want is the Romans gone. They think that's their biggest problem. That's part of the context. The other part of the context that he's speaking into is a very religious context. A very religious context. Jesus was speaking into a context of rules and rituals. Into a context of legalism. That you you are actually saved by your works. And God didn't intend that to be that way. Right? God didn't give the law to his people so that they could obey this, this rule and that rule, and that somehow by obeying those rules, they could save themselves. They could have the, their righteousness that they need to enter into God's kingdom. The law was never meant to do that. We've discussed many times, the law reflects the character of God, and it reveals how desperately we need a Savior. The Pharisees, and this is, I have a picture of, supposed picture of the Pharisees. The Pharisees... The religious leaders, right? When you look at the leaders at the time, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes, uh, the Pharisees were sticklers for rules. The Pharisees had taken God's law, which was meant to be a blessing for his people, and they had developed a system of rules and regulations, which they believed honored God. And I think, in a sense, they were sincere in wanting to honor God, but in reality, it only fed into their sense of self-righteousness, right? We've got these rules. We're the keeper of the rules. We're spiritual because of that. You're less spiritual than we are. God never intended for the law to be that. God always wanted to have a right relationship with his people. It was always supposed to be through faith, right? So I have this little diagram, right? There's you, and there's God, and there's sin, and sin separates you from God. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, This has been the issue. And God wanted to gather his people to himself, but it was never supposed to be by keeping this rule and that rule. It was supposed to be through faith in him that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him and faith in the coming Messiah. It's always been about faith. So if you look at the Gospels, Jesus says, what? Your faith has healed you. Your faith has saved you. The Pharisees had created rule after rule. We talk about works, we're talking about keeping rules. So it was was work after work after work. Instead of one step of faith, it was many, many, many steps of works. And what's crazy is, is that the Pharisees actually thought that they were somehow going to earn their salvation. That through rule keeping, that they were going to enter into the kingdom of God. And Jesus came on the scene. He was flipping things upside down. 
You think you're rich, but you're really poor. You can only come to me if you're poor. But these Pharisees who create this system of works, okay, Jesus talks about it in Luke 18. He gives this parable. He says, to some, he enters into the temple area. He says, to some who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. He's talking about the Pharisees there. The Pharisees were literally, they were dripping with self-righteousness. So this Pharisee, this is a picture of a Pharisee, he's standing in the structure, he's standing in the temple, and he's looking out of other people thinking, I'm better than you are. It's a shame that you're not like I am. If only you weren't so sinful. He is in the very place that represents the presence of God, the manifest presence of God, and he might as well have been on another planet. He was so far separated, or they were so far separated from God. And so this one who was confident in his own righteousness, he says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. You see, the Pharisees were rich with spiritual heritage, right? Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 9. He says, look, you, know, you, guys, you guys received... The law, the covenants, you've got the temple, you've got all, you get all this stuff given to you by God, all these, this, this system of worship that no other people has. You've got this spiritual heritage. They were children of Abraham. I mean, Jesus has to combat that. It's like, just, just because you're a child of Abraham doesn't mean that, that you're entering into the kingdom. He says, I can raise up children of Abraham out of the stones here. And they were rich with rule-keeping. They were rich with self-righteousness. They believed they were rich spiritually. And into that context, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So this begs the question, right? We want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, right? That's the promise there. We want to enter into the kingdom. And I've talked a lot about the kingdom up to this point. It's a place you want to be. You don't want to be at the alternative, that's for sure. You want to enter into the kingdom, so we need to be poor in spirit. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, to be in poor in spirit doesn't mean that you're materially poor, right? Most commentators that you read, they'll point out right away, okay, he's not talking about being materially poor here. And the reason the commentators have to begin with that thought is that the Roman Catholic Church specifically has teaching that, you know, where they have, you know, sects of followers, the nuns and the and the um, uh, the nuns and the like the monks, and they take what a vow of poverty, like I'm denying material goods. I'm di- denying myself material goods because I want to be poor, poor in spirit, and I want this to draw me closer to God. I want to enter into the kingdom. I mean, just think about this logically, and that this, the thing is, is that word for poor. If you look at that word for poor in other places in the New Testament, it refers to not having material things. It refers to not having money. It refers to being destitute. So you can see why they would lean that way. But if you think about it, you know, if this is what's being said, then when I'm walking through Hamtramck with a pocket full of change, I could walk through Hamtramck guilt-free and tell whoever asks me for money at any corner, sorry, you don't want my money because you want to enter into the kingdom of God. Why would I deny you poverty? Because I'd be denying you blessing. 
doesn't make sense. All the missions agencies around the world that are trying to alleviate poverty would really be doing a disservice to the people that they're ministering to. So this really, although some people would say this is an option, this is not really a serious option. Being poor in spirit does not mean that you have low self-esteem, right? Like that you are, you know, somebody who is down-spirited, lacking courage, vitality, seal. Okay, it's, it's not talking about somebody's personality, that they've had a bad upbringing and they think lowly of themselves and they're quiet and reserved and they're an introvert and, and you know, it's, you know, not using a lot of words is, is good, you know, in a multitude of words, sin is not far behind, but this is not what Jesus is talking about here. Okay, now, back to the poor situation, you know, is it hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven? What does Jesus say? Yeah, it, the rich people struggle with that because their security and their trust is in their, in their riches, right? So it just so happens that many, many poor people come to faith in Christ. But Jesus doesn't speak out of, against being rich. He speaks out against not using your money or your material possessions the way you should for the glory of God. Right? Are there people with self-esteem issues? People that are downtrodden, you know, they feel badly about themselves, they're quiet and introverted. Are there people like that that are going to enter into the kingdom? Yes, but that's not a qualification for entering into the kingdom of heaven. So what is meant here by being poor in spirit? Well, I think one passage that helps us out is Luke chapter 21, 1 through 4. This is a passage that helps us to understand the word that's used for poor to refer to this, this widow who brings her two mites uh, into the temple, into the, uh, into the offering area. And so Luke 21, 1 through 4, as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor. Now that's the first word for poor there, Pentecost. He used that first word for poor. And that word Pentecost means, it means somebody who is, um, they, they have something, but not a lot. Like, they're, they're not completely destitute. They, they're, you know, they have two mice to scratch together. They're not totally, totally destitute, I should say. He also saw a poor widow who put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor, and there's a different word that's used there, tokos, and that really means financially bankrupt, all right, so from the world's perspective, as they looked at this woman walk up with two coins, they really don't know what her condition is. And Jesus, I'm going to tell you her condition. She is absolutely destitute. I know what's going on in her life. She has nothing. She is completely dependent on everything that she has from God, and she realizes that. She brings nothing to the table. And whatever she had, the two mites, which was nothing, she gave it away. And so Jesus continues, all these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, there's another word there, and that really in other translations is need. Out of her need, she still gave. She put in all that she had to live on, right? So once she got rid of those two mites, that was it. Jesus knew her story. Completely destitute. She was, she was bankrupt, and so when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, what he's saying is, is it blessed are the spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are you when you realize that you bring nothing spiritually to the table for entrance into the kingdom of God. 
Samuel Storm says this, he says, it's a conscious confession of absolute spiritual destitution before God. You are a beggar at a table of beggars. You are 100% completely bankrupt. You are dependent upon the mercy of God for everything. This is what it means to be poor in spirit. Absolute spiritual destitution before God. And so we see set up before us in the gospel this contrast between the spiritually rich and the spiritually poor. Right? That's what I began with it kind of as the lead end into this discussion. This Pharisee who in his mind is spiritually rich. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. He's looking down. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers are even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. And so in his mind, he's saying those words, okay, yeah, I'm a sinner. Okay, we all are, but I'm not as bad as everybody else is. The others, they don't know God's word as well as I do. They're not like me. If only they knew what I knew, they would act differently. I'm so glad that I am not like them. We're not much different than the Pharisees. At least I guess, I guess I can speak for myself. When I begin looking at people, outside, even in the body of Christ, when I look at other people's actions, I'm like, oh God, I'm so glad that that's not me. I mean, they're so pathetic. What don't they get? The dots don't connect in their mind. I think we're more like the Pharisees than we're willing to admit. So that's the spiritually rich person. They can somehow earn their way into the kingdom with their self-righteousness. Yeah, I'm a sinner, but, but you know, I'm better than other people. Yeah, I, I, I need God, but not as much as everybody else needs God. Contrast that with the spiritually poor, the tax collector. God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I am spiritually bankrupt. And he's probably thinking, oh, if I was only like that Pharisee over there, if I only knew God's word like he knew God's word, if I only did all the things that he did, if I only dressed like he dressed, if I only had the respect that he has from other people, oh God, I could come before you, but I'm just a sinner. God, have mercy on me. That's what God wants. What does God desire? He tells us a contrite heart, a broken heart. And Jesus goes on and says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home declared righteous. He went home robed in the righteousness that he needs to enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's what justified means. It means you have been given the righteousness that you lack, the righteousness that you must have to enter into the kingdom. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So we see the contrast scripturally, an example Spiritually rich, supposedly spiritually poor, and really it's, it's flipped. Another example, another example would be Paul, the Apostle Paul in his life, his life story. Right in Philippians chapter 3, he's, he's having to fight against what's known as, they're known as the Judaizers. They're these, these, these Jews that have kind of, they have kind of crept into Christianity, and, and they're trying to bring people back into the law, putting them under the regulations of the law, and therefore the penalties of the law. But he, he's trying to say, look, these guys don't know anything. I was there. I was them. I was, I was a Pharisee. 
In my mind, I was spiritually rich. I thought I, had a, I thought I had a spot locked in the kingdom right next to the throne. I thought I was there because of my good works. Paul says this, he says, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence about what I just said, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I think he's bragging. I think he's just telling it like it is. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, he was a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. If anybody could have a self-righteousness that would earn themselves into the kingdom of God, Paul, a Pharisee, would be able to do that. But what does Jesus say at the end of Matthew chapter 5? And many would say this is the key verse to the entire Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, look, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you certainly, you're not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. See, Paul thought he had what it took to enter into the kingdom. He had crossed every T, he dotted every I. Paul was a pious man. Paul was a guy who everyone thought had his spot in the kingdom reserved and ready for arrival. He was trusting in his own righteousness. He thought the kingdom was a lock-in. But God had other plans for Paul. God wanted to use Paul. But in order to use Paul, Paul had to see, had to show, God had to show Paul how spiritually bankrupt that he really was. And so, so God meets, Jesus meets Paul on the road to Damascus. He's going to kill Christians. And what does he do? He blinds Paul. He blinds him. And then he gives him the sight that he wants him to have. And after Paul's Damascus road experience, after his conversion, Paul would say this, he says, but whatever gains to me, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And then he talks about this supposed self-righteousness that he thought at one time was going to enter him into the kingdom. He says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which is through faith in Christ, a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Remember that little step? It goes back to faith, not works, but faith. And Paul said, look, I had done everything I thought I was supposed to do to enter the kingdom, and God blinded me, and then he gave me sight to see that I had been spiritually bankrupt all along, and that the only way that I could enter in was through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and that righteousness which he would give me through faith. So we see Paul, he was, at one time, he thought to be spiritually rich, but he was really spiritually poor. And when he came to the conclusion that he was spiritually poor, what God made him rich in the things of the faith. So like Paul, if it's true of Paul, it's true of everybody that must enter the kingdom. If we are to enter the kingdom of God, Christ must first make us poor in spirit people. 
Because until he makes us poor in spirit people, we are not able to receive grace. Right? You're not going to receive grace if you don't think you need it. I don't need that. I'm okay. I'm good. Thomas Watson, this Puritan, he really nails it. He says, until we're poor in spirit, we're not capable of receiving grace. He who is swollen with self-excellency and self-sufficiency is not fit for Christ. Why? Because he's already full. If the hand is full of pebbles, it cannot receive gold. The glass is first empty before you pour in wine. God first empties a man of himself before he pours in the precious wine of his grace. You see, to receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ that you need to enter into the kingdom, you have to abandon all self-righteousness. You have to recognize your spiritual bankruptcy and you have to cling to the cross of Jesus Christ and the righteousness that is theirs through faith. My grandfather Rivers, his favorite hymn was Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages. I remember seeing it at his funeral. In the third stanza, this song written by Augustus Top Lady, interesting, Top Lady, says this, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul to the fountain I fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. You see, to receive the grace of God that we need for salvation, to receive the grace of God that we need for that self, for that keep self righteousness, for Christ's righteousness to enter in the kingdom, we we have to understand that we are spiritually bankrupt. We have to be poor in spirit people. Secondly, until we are poor in spirit people, we will fail to see how precious. Jesus Christ really is. I'm going to ask you this morning, how precious is Jesus to you? Oh, he's my Savior. Of course he's precious to me. He died on the cross for me. Of course he's precious to me. But how really precious is Jesus to you? You know, in, gospel, in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 7, there's this beautiful, beautiful story. We're going to read it in a second on our way to the end of this message. There's this unnamed woman, and she's an outsider. She's a prostitute. Sam talked about a prophecy earlier today. She's an outsider. She's, she's alienated from her community of faith. She is a nobody. And she gets to the point where she is spiritually bankrupt. At some point, she, I guess she had heard the teaching of Jesus. She had heard about his works. Maybe she'd had a face-to-face with him. I don't know. But she realized how desperate she was for Jesus Christ, that she needed him, that she needed the righteousness that only he could give. And so in Luke chapter 7, we read this. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. Just notice the boldness here. She's not invited to this dinner, right? When was the last time you just kind of interrupted a dinner party? She's invited to this dinner at the Pharisee's house. And she comes there with an alabaster jar of perfume, very expensive, a year's worth of wages. So she enters into this dinner party, and she stood behind him at his, uh, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them, and she poured perfume on them. I can't imagine 
a greater picture of humility and mourning over sin and a recognition of how spiritually bankrupt that she was. Now notice the response of the Pharisees. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had enough money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, that's a no-brainer. The one who had a bigger debt to be forgiven. Jesus is like, good, you get that one, Simon. You judged correctly. And this is so beautiful. He turns to the woman and said, Simon... Do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. It's a beautiful picture. Therefore, I tell you, her many, many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. She saw and recognized how precious Jesus is in the poverty of her spirit and her poor in spirit mind. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, "What? your faith has saved you. Your faith. Go in peace. See, this woman recognized how precious Jesus Christ is because she recognized how spiritually bankrupt she was and there's no way that she could stand in the presence of God based on her own deeds. She desperately needed what only Jesus could give. Thomas Watson says this, He who is poor in spirit has recourse still to this fountain. He sets a high value and appreciation upon Christ. He hides himself in Christ's wounds. He bathes himself in his blood. He wraps himself in Christ's robe. This woman recognized that she desperately needed Jesus and that he was precious. So Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, when you read these words, again, I want you to think about Luke chapter 7 and this woman who came to Jesus Christ understanding her spiritual bankruptcy. I want you to understand the beautiful story and the wonderful gift of forgiveness that she received. There was shame. There was guilt. There was alienation. There was a sense of condemnation, fear, and judgment. And they were all removed through faith in Jesus Christ, her precious Savior. All that was required was that she recognized that she was spiritually bankrupt and that she needed to come to Jesus for forgiveness. And she received that. You know what else she received? The kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will receive the kingdom of heaven. As we close, you know, I was thinking about um, a church and how in a church where um, supposedly there's Bible teaching, we are taught the Bible, and we have biblical knowledge and understanding. Um, 
that we would always recognize how spiritually impoverished we are and that we are spiritually bankrupt. But the tendency is, is for us to kind of forget where we came from, right? We forget what our condition was when we came to Christ. There was a church that's written about in the Bible. It's uh, written by John as he receives revelation from Jesus and the church is Laodicea. And as Jesus addresses this church, he says, "This is I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Now there's a sense in which, yes, there was, there was material wealth that they had. They were, they were rich, and they, they didn't feel like they, they you know, necessarily needed to trust in God as much as they had before. But I think the underlying issue here is they're, spiritually, they thought they had arrived. You see, the, the tendency is, is we grow spiritually, and sometimes we forget about our desperate condition prior to coming to Christ, and we, Christ loses, loses his preciousness to us. We take our focus off the gospel And the church at Laodicea had done that. Yes, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, I do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. He says, I counsel you, I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in fire so that you can become rich. White clothes that you can wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Well, how do you get that? How are they supposed to get that? Well, they're supposed to remember how spiritually bankrupt they were and then turn in faith to their precious Savior, Jesus Christ, the only one who could extend to them the grace that they needed and the righteousness that they needed to cover themselves, to cover that shameful nakedness. And so he says, look, I'm here. If you've... If you've Gotten away from me, I'm here, he says. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It's just a matter of faith. Listening and obeying in faith. And what's the reward? It's the same as in the Beatitude. He says, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. The kingdom. Just as I was victorious, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So as Jesus said to his listeners there in the Sermon on the Mount, as he conveyed to this this prostitute who came to him, broken and spiritually bankrupt, as he spoke to the church at Laodicea, he, he speaks to us today. And he tells us, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Father, we thank you um, for the beauty of of this passage. Um, Thank you for reminding us as we come to you, we come spiritually bankrupt, desperately in need of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, please remind us now and into the future that it's in Christ alone that we have hope, that we desperately need Christ because only in Him and through Him 
can we have the righteousness that we need to be in your presence? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.